Good morning. I pressed the button up there, and it came on. That's how it's supposed to work. Kind of. Um, a department head aboard a Navy vessel was pretty concerned about one of his uh, senior enlisted men. This is a true story. Uh, he was concerned because this enlisted man, he was a, a superb technician, um, but he had a little bit of an attitude problem. He didn't like following orders, and he made sure that everybody knew it. And so uh, the department head, he took the, the seaman aside, and he said um, he should try something that had worked for him in the past. He said, whenever an officer says something that you just think that you don't disagree, or that you don't agree with, that you just think uh, is stupid, then just say, yes, sir. But in your mind, think, you are an idiot, and the seaman looked at him, and he, he smiled broadly and said, yes, sir. <laughs> now, that enlisted man, he had a problem. In the military, there's not much room for a rebellious attitude. In the military, you follow orders, or you suffer the consequences. And that's not a popular idea in most of society, but in the military, submission is required. The stakes are just too high, and as we'll see this morning in the Lord's army, God expects us to submit in his church too. Last week we talked about how uh, important it is to find leaders who understand submission, leaders who will emulate Christ and and follow his example uh, of servant or proistomy leadership who will stand out in front as an example for us and not push us from the back. And remember that the only reason an elder should shepherd the flock of God is for one simple reason. He loves Jesus. When they love Jesus, then they're going to understand what their job is, to serve the church, to feed the sheep, and to tend the flock. And that can be a daunting task, and today we're appointing two more men to take it on. So how can we assist Mike and Josh and Rick, Richard, and Andy, our elders, to do their job properly. Well, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Obey, submit, What if I don't want to? What if I don't agree with them? What if they make decisions that I don't like or that don't make sense to me? And we hear all of those questions, and Hebrews makes it pretty clear. What does Hebrews say? Does it say obey? Yeah. Does it say submit? Yeah. Does it say I have to agree with them? No. Whether I agree with them or not, unless... The eldership asked me to portray my higher allegiance to God. God expects me to honor the elders by allowing them to lead us. Last week we looked at that Greek word for lead, proistomy, which is servant leadership or, or leadership by example. It means to stand out in front and lead. But the writer of Hebrews here, he uses a different word for leadership, hegemai, which means to rule like a chief. We need leaders who, yeah, they understand submission. We need leaders who understand that their highest authority will always be the Almighty God. But we need to understand submission too. 
not just them. We are asking two more men to take on an important responsibility to watch out for our souls, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. And they deserve, but perhaps more importantly, they need our respect and our submission and our cooperation to do that job well. Otherwise, their work will be unprofitable for us. And although we don't have a a crystal clear picture of how this important office of the eldership was filled in the New Testament, what we're doing here falls within the guidelines we have. Two weeks ago, Richard came up here. He talked to us about how he and the other elders wanted us to consider Mike and Josh, and he told us the process that they would be installed by. The elders have given us two weeks where we can voice any concerns that we have about these two men, and without a credible objection, they'll be appointed following this morning's service. And if you look around in your seat, look around in your seat, you'll find something missing. There's no ballot there. there there's nothing that for you to write a, a vote on, nothing to cast a vote on. And I think that's for good reason. Titus 1.5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set and order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Titus was to appoint elders. They weren't elected to this office. Acts 14.23, it tells us, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The Bible never tells us about electing elders. They were appointed. Deacons were voted on, but not elders from the information we have. It's limited, but all we have is that they were appointed. But why? Well, Usually when we see a vote for this position, it works this way. There's some threshold, whether it's 50% or 75% or 95% or 99%, and the person, the candidate, has to reach that threshold to be selected. It becomes a, a popularity concert. And our elders, I think they might be popular, but that's not why they are our elders. You see, we've been given two weeks to say yes or no. And yeses, though, they aren't being counted today. Our leaders are only considering the no's. And the no's they're concerned about, Richard told us, are the ones that are signed with a name and submitted to them so they could look into any allegations. If the elders received this kind of letter, they went and they talked to those who voiced their concern and asked why. And if there is a valid reason one of the proposed men shouldn't become an elder, and Richard and Rick and Andy could confirm that that allegation was true, then the man will not become an elder this morning, even if we were to give them a 99% vote. You see, we don't get to vote on who we like. I think we like Mike and Josh. That's not why we're installing them today. And we don't get to vote on everything they choose to do once they become our elders. The church is not a democracy. The church is a theocracy. That means that God gets to call the shots. God gets to call the shots on who can become an elder. And no matter how much we like someone, if a man does not meet the qualifications that God has laid out, then that person cannot be an elder in the Lord's church. And apparently one of the other things that God gets to call the shots on is the responsibility of the elders to make decisions for us, for the local congregation. 
And God's expectation is that we will willingly honor these elders by respecting their wishes, even if we don't agree with them all the time. By allowing unqualified men to be appointed or by refusing to submit to appointed qualified men, we aren't just rebelling against our elders. We're told we're rebelling against God. An excellent example of this issue can be found in 1 Samuel. Samuel was uh, a judge and a prophet, a priest for Israel, and he was uh, essentially the leader of his people. But Samuel was getting old, and he had transferred some of his authority over to two sons. And unfortunately, these two sons, they were dishonest men. They took bribes, they perverted justice. Uh, in 1 Samuel 8, 1, we're, we're told all about how the people were turning against them. And the Israelites reason, Samuel's getting old, and one of these days, he's going to die. And we're going to have to find something to do without Samuel there. We like Samuel, but what's the future look like? And when he dies, we're going to get stuck with these two sons who nobody likes. So the people of Israel, they came up with a solution. They went to Samuel, and they demanded a king, like every other nation had. They wanted something like everyone else had. It seemed like a good idea to them at the time. The other nations had kings. It seemed to work okay for them. But Samuel knew that God didn't want Israel to have a king at this time, and he tried to persuade them that this is a bad idea. But they rejected his advice, demanded a king. First Samuel, First Samuel 8, 7, the Lord told Samuel, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give him a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. God gave them a leader. Maybe Samuel didn't look or act like the leaders they were used to or that they saw elsewhere in the world, but he was handpicked by God. That wasn't what Israel wanted, though. They wanted what everybody else had. And by rejecting Samuel, the Lord said, no, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So Israel got their king, but they suffered for it. They ended up with King Saul. And if you continue on through 1 Samuel, you'll see that uh, King Saul was not a good man. He'd been disobedient to God. And because of his disobedience, he had been plagued by an evil spirit. And later, when Saul realized that the people loved David and were singing his praises, several times he sought to kill David then. And when David finally fled from Saul's presence, he didn't want to die. He stopped by the tabernacle, and the priest fed David and his men and offered them a place to rest. And once Saul found out what the priest and the other priests had done for David, First Samuel 22 tells us that Samuel had 85 priests killed. And ordered the priestly city of Nob to be destroyed. And because Israel demanded a leader other than the one God had handpicked for them, other than the one that God had laid out for them, just like if we appoint elders who are not qualified for the position, Israel was punished with Saul. Now our task is to learn from their mistake, to rely on God's wisdom to guide our decision today. But what should we do if we mess up? What should we do if we feel like we have made the wrong choices, that now we have bad leaders? We're a long way off from that in Greenfield, but how should Christians react when they feel like their leaders, the leaders over us, are wrong? 
What should we do even if we feel they've become evil, even whether they're the the elders over us in the church or a government or an employer? How should Christians respond to what they see as bad leaders? Now, repeatedly throughout Scripture, we read of how we're to respond to people in authority over us. Paul wrote in Romans 13, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Submit yourselves to the governing authorities. Who's saying this? Who's talking right now, and who's he talking to? It's Paul, who just left the governing authorities to become a Christian, talking to Romans who are being persecuted by the governing authorities. That's easy to submit to governing authorities when you agree with them, if they make decisions that you think are right and moral and fair. But what if these governing men aren't good people, like the people that Paul is talking to? What if they make decisions I don't agree with? What if they're not righteous and moral and fair? What if they're mean and spiteful and dangerous? What if they're like King Saul? How do you honor a governing authority like that? How do you submit to something that wicked and terrible? Well, that's the question that David faced, right? David's fleeing for his life. Saul is following close behind trying to kill him. He disagrees with his leader about as much as anyone could, I suspect. But what's he going to do with Saul? How does he react? Eventually, after David's fled, he spent a few months in caves and fields, uh, and eventually when others found out about this situation, he gathers that small force of men, right, about 600. And at one point, he and his men fled to the south along the, the eastern shores of the Dead Sea, and they found a, a shelter in rocky hills there. And in the meantime, King Saul received information of where David was and gathered an army of about 3,000 men. That's why I can say David's 600 were small, because he was about to be crushed. And as Saul was searching through this desert, he went into the very cave where David and his men were hiding. And think about this. We say it's a small force. 600 men are sitting around here. But we're not sure whether Saul went into the cave to to escape the uh, sun, try to find some rest, or the NIV puts it that he went in there to relieve himself. The Hebrew phrase is a couple of different possible understandings. Whatever the case was, though, Saul was distracted. Perhaps he he took off his cloak and set it to one side. Nonetheless, David's men see an opportunity here. They see a a leader who is about as bad as you can imagine. They urge David, kill the king. Get rid of him. We can find someone better. Maybe it can even be you. We can find someone who's going to set things straight, and finally we can get our leaders working for us instead of for them. This would remove the threat to David's life. Perhaps it would clear the way for David to take the throne himself. And so David slips in quietly. And he cuts off a corner of the royal robe. But he doesn't kill Saul. He went to his men. He was so overwhelmed with shame. Even just for this small slight, cutting off the corner of the robe, that David then rebukes his men with these words. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord, 1 Samuel 24, 6. Later, 
after Saul had left the cave, he began to, to leave the area. David went out from the cave as well, and he called to Saul with these words in verse 9. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of the robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So how does God want us to deal with those in authority? How should we deal with people, leaders, who we disagree with? Well, what did David do? David was a man after God's own heart. We want to know how to submit to those in authority. David's example is a great place to start. And in this passage from 1 Samuel, three things become obvious. First, David's submission to King Saul did not include giving the king everything he wanted. We know that because David's still alive. Saul wanted David dead. David said, no, I don't think that's right. Saul wanted David dead, but David, or David dead, but David didn't comply. He didn't allow King Saul to take his life. And, and once it became apparent that Saul's home was a dangerous place to live, David refused to live there. Submitting to those in authority does not mean we always give them what they want. If a person in authority wants something that is immoral or illegal, just plain wrong, we are not obligated to obey them in those matters. In fact, we are obligated to disobey. In the New Testament, we read the time of Peter and John. They were arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, and these rulers of Israel sternly commanded the apostles not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard in Acts 4, 18 through 19. They were facing or willing to face the consequences that were sure to come because of this decision. But submission to earthly authority was overridden by their submission to the will of God. The apostles were respectful of these earthly leaders, but they would not disobey God. Which brings us to our second point. David's submission to the king was based on his respect for the office of the king. When David addressed the king, what words did he use to call him? What names did he use? He said, my father, my master, the Lord's anointed. These weren't insults. They weren't put downs. There was no name calling. Even though Saul was trying to murder him. He refused to disrespect him. Why was David so respectful of this evil and spiteful king? Because David was a man after God's own heart. David had meditated on the law of God day, or day and night, and in that law was this command from Exodus 22:28: Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. David was a man after God's own heart, and so he wasn't about to curse Saul. In the book of Acts, we're told of the time that, that Paul stood before the Sanhedrin and Ananias, the high priest, ordered that Paul be slapped because Paul said that he had fulfilled his duty to God 
in all good conscience in Acts 23.1. And in anger, this would be an upsetting thing to hear that just for obeying the Almighty Creator, just obeying Him, that deserves slaps by the worldly government. Paul shouts out in anger to this, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck in Acts 23.3. Now notice what Paul said, absolutely true. It was a violation of the law to command him to be struck before the Sanhedrin. But then we're told, those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest in Acts 23.4? And Paul was aghast. He replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people in Acts 23.5. And so we find that submitting to those in authority over us does not require us to do everything they ask. If they request something that's immoral or illegal or wrong, we have an obligation to disobey. But it does require us to speak respectfully of them. We're not allowed to curse them or insult them or belittle them. Third, submission to those in authority for David means that we must not determine to hurt them. David declared to Saul, let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you, in 1 Samuel 24.12. There's a story about a young man who worked in a a factory, uh, and the supervisor in his area, uh, new to the job, he was pretty arrogant, pretty pushy, he, he wanted all the authority for himself. It seemed like nobody liked him, including uh, this young worker. And one day the supervisor came through his department and noticed uh, a can of parts lying around. He said, throw those away. Why are you keeping your area so messy? Get rid of that can. The worker protested, you don't want me to do that. These are, are valuable things in this can. And in a flash of anger, the, the supervisor forcefully repeated his uh, command, walked away, And the worker, he took that can out uh, towards the trash heap, but he set it off a little bit to the side. And a few days later in the plant, the the owners came by, and they were looking for these valuable parts that they just had ordered, special, new. And the supervisor comes in, and he he grabs the young worker. Do you happen to know where that can of parts is? So young worker, he goes out. He knows where it is, pulls it out. He hands it to the supervisor. He saves that man's job. In an opportunity to embarrass and hurt, destroy this man of authority who nobody respected, but he refused to take the opportunity. In essence, he declared, my hand will not touch him, even when his hand tries to touch me. And instead of hurting the man, he saved the man's reputation and job. In the Old Testament, David is our model of how we ought to behave. He was the man after God's own heart. His behavior in situations like this can tell us how we can please God with our actions. But today, Jesus is our model, and the New Testament is our authority. So what does it say about how we should respond to those in authority over us? 1 Peter 2, 13 through 23, we're told, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God, 
honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants. Again, talking to people who are in servanthood. They, they shouldn't want to be there. But he says to servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to be good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. How could Jesus endure the horrors of the cross inflicted upon him by leaders he should not have respected? Because he trusted the one who judges justly. That's exactly what David did. First Samuel twenty four twelve tells us that David told Saul, let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not go against you. And we're a long way off, thankfully, from having elders who fit into that harsh category here in Greenfield. They're nothing like King Saul. And the way we prevent ourselves from having leaders like King Saul is by listening to God's wisdom in the first place. Israel didn't have to have Saul, but they chose him. They wanted a king like everyone else. We should appoint men who fit the description and the qualifications that God gave us because the church is not a democracy. It's a theocracy where God is our ultimate authority. But no matter how sure we are of these appointments today, we know eventually our leaders will do something we disagree with. Maybe a big thing. Maybe a small thing. Maybe a matter of opinion. It may be uh, a serious matter for our faith. They may be right or we might be right, or we might just think we're right. But in that moment, we should look to the example of David, who, despite disagreeing with his leader about as much as a person could, did not let that conflict undercut God's authority. First, David refused to do something ungodly or wrong, like allowing Saul to kill him. So we shouldn't let any leader lead us into sin. We'll see tonight that our elders should protect us from that. They should protect us from the savage wolves we just read about and protect us from that danger. But sometimes they fail in that, just like we all fall short. And we must remember that God and his revealed will and his word are our ultimate authority. But secondly, David also refused to speak poorly of Saul. We shouldn't be uh, insulting or, or talking cruelly to anyone, even those we think are, are dead wrong. We shouldn't do that to anyone. But elders fall into a distinct category because they are chosen by God's pattern. They are God's chosen people to shepherd the flock. And even when we think they get it wrong, to belittle their office is to belittle God. And third, David would not hurt Saul. We shouldn't hurt our leaders, especially over matters of opinion. We may not like their decisions all the time, but to submit to God means we have to submit to them, even if we find ourselves at the point where we cannot obey our leaders because they're leading us to sin and we can't reconcile that with them, we must not seek to hurt our shepherds. We can and we must stand up for truth, but that doesn't mean we have to destroy them or their families. 
The elders have one central task, to shepherd the flock. They're responsible for protecting God's church and leading us towards righteousness. And if they fail in that work, God will hold them accountable. But if they succeed, 1 Peter 5 promises them a crown of glory that will not fade away. That's a serious job, and today we're appointing two more men to take it on. Hebrews tells us the best thing we can do to help them obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you, Hebrews 13, 17. We should make our leaders work joyful, and we do that by allowing them to lead us, by putting our personal preferences aside for the whole flock, so that they can watch out for our souls. But there isn't anything that these five shepherds will be able to do for our souls unless we've already submitted to the chief shepherd. James 4, 7, it tells us, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. If you're ready for God to lift you up, now is the time to come to the front of the room as we stand.